Hello and welcome to this episode of Before Economics, the history of political economy. There are nearly 300 Wikipedia encyclopedias, and the English version is the largest, with over 5 million articles. Encyclopedias rose to wide popularity in the 18th century. Some of the early examples include the Lexicon Technicum of 1704, Chambers Cyclopedia of 1728, and that high watermark of the French Enlightenment, Diderot and D'Alembert's Encyclopédie of 1751. Today's text is also an encyclopedia, Malachi Postlethwaite's Universal Dictionary of Trade and Commerce. It was first published in a series of issues between 1751 and 1755, and when collected together, they made an imposing work of over 1,800 tightly printed pages, amounting to more than a million words. The entries were typically patchworks made from different sources, as Richard Vandenberg explains. Now, Postlethwaite was himself a very unoriginal author, but he was possibly one of the most well-read commercial writers of his time, and the value to modern readers is that he would, in various entries of his dictionary, put the views of what he thought were the most authoritative authors on the subject together. And he would quote from books that very few people had access to. For example, he quoted at length Richard Cantillon, even before he was published in the text that people know from France. This is a little bit of a mystery because he must have had access to manuscripts which have unfortunately not been found back. But not only did he plagiarize because he did not acknowledge Cantillon, he plagiarized many other authors. Not only did the entries differ in terms of their sources, but they also differed in their length and style of treatment. The entry on circulation, for example, related to some of the most analytical aspects of political economy in the period, but ran to only two pages while the entry on cloth ran to 10 and included details on the best Spanish wools for making fine cloth and the need to prepare the wool first using a liquor made of three parts water and one part urine. Often the entries began with an account of relevant legislation and its history, then progressing to consider opposing views from rival authors and the articles were then cross-referenced. It is an impressive achievement, even if much of the material was borrowed without acknowledgement. It seems that Postlethwaite gained this knowledge of the literature by accumulating relevant works over a period of more than 20 years, with a view to establishing a mercantile academy. In other words, Postlethwaite was building his university's library. Sadly, the academy never materialised, and Postlethwaite died in modest circumstances, despite the success of his dictionary. The dictionary was organised alphabetically, an emerging practice of the time, yet the more interesting feature of its organisation was the decision to examine trade and commerce from two distinct perspectives, one practical and one political. The practical perspective was intended to help merchants to extend their commerce, serving their private interests, while the political perspective was intended to regulate trade and commerce by good laws to ensure that the nation as a whole prospered. As with David Hume, we once again see that trade had become an affair of state. Postlethwaite insisted that the good statesman would need to draw on a practical knowledge of trade if he were to avoid puzzlement and confusion in his lawmaking. In targeting these two audiences, merchants and legislators, Postlethwaite was of course not doing anything new, yet the physical characteristics of the encyclopedia were crucial in defining its likely market of buyers. Richard Vandenberg again. Postlethwaite's Dictionary of Trade and Commerce 
was a work that would have been used for people to show off in their libraries, for people to uh, leisurely look at uh, various topics, but also to actually use by practitioners. For example, evidence there is that in America, people actually learn their accounting from Positivist Dictionary. So in other words, it could be used in many different ways. It could be used by practitioners, by men of leisure. But what it showed was that commerce as an object of study had become a profitable type of publication. People in the mid-18th century, many people were very interested to know more about their growing, changing economy. The enormous proliferation of different jobs and occupations that uh, were visible. And Postletwaite uh, tried to provide, through an alphabetic work, to provide easy access to this commercial world. Postletwaite was not unique at all within the European context. These kind of works were produced in France and in Germany at about the same time. There was a real thirst for knowledge about the economy, how it worked, often at a practical level. We have, then one of the first encyclopedias of economic knowledge, intended not only for merchants and statesmen, but for the general reader too. Political economy and related branches of knowledge were beginning to circulate among the literate public in a way that the world had never experienced before. Before economics was a university discipline for specialists, it was a public knowledge. This episode of Before Economics was brought to you by the European Society for the History of Economic Thought. Written and spoken by me, Dr. Ryan Walter, at the University of Queensland. Special thanks to Richard Vandenberg. The audio engineer was Nee Adepoyebi.